And welcome to Cursed Objects. It's, as ever, a podcast about politics, cultural history, and tat. Sort of like a cursed show and tell, where every episode, myself and my esteemed co-host take it in turns to bring in an object that is weighed down with the weight of the world around it, whether that's culturally, socially, politically, just because it looks gross. You know, all of these are good reasons. <laughs> anyway, my name is Dan Hancock. So I'm a journalist, author, and rebel girl. And uh, as ever, I'm joined by my co-host. Dr. Cassidy, Elf Bar Queen. <laughs> wow. Didn't realise we had a monarch in the house. Um, yeah. The queen of the elf bars has made her her presence known, and I'm very pleased about that because that is very pertinent to what we're doing today. Uh, We are going to be talking about disposable vapes, about the culture that swirls around vaping, about a very, it's a very zeitgeisty cursed object this week. Often we delve back sort of 10 or 20 years um, or more to look at kind of Um, an object that tells us something about modern British history. Um, We're we're being so modern this this week that we are talking about basically the last year or two. But I think I also really want to delve back into uh, smoking and how kind of social and cultural attitudes to smoking have changed over time um, because it's very much part of this same story, you know, um, and how big capital has adapted from the fact that people don't smoke nearly as much as they used to, but that now they like to carry around things like this week's cursed object, which is a kind of unpleasantly uh, soft pink, sort of a subdued pink colour, Elf Bar. Elf Bar is the name of the brand of vapes you may have heard of. It's uh, being discussed a lot in the media recently, and it is a pink lemonade flavour. Delicious. Have you ever tried these, Cash? I know you're (laughs) a bit of an elf barer. Do you know what? Unfortunately, I've probably tried most of the flavours. Wow. I don't don't know. Like, I think in a way like this this episode, we've both kind of avoided doing a smoking episode because it's just a little bit on the nose, isn't it? Like, it's like, like obviously (laughs) smoking is bad for us. And like, it's clearly quite cursed for many reasons that we're going to get into, not least the smoking like industry, right? Like the people behind Mm. people who are making money off, off of your poor health, basically. But also I, I just kind of like, (laughs) when we were discussing this earlier, I was like, oh, the thing is, Dan, is that like, 
will people see this episode and will they maybe not employ me or will they maybe not like, will they look down on me for admitting my like smoking, my occasional, yeah, my occasional smoking habit? Like what will my mum say? Yeah. I'm like like a grown adult. You're a grown adult. adult. (laughs) (laughs) Like literally like an adult who is like very much in charge of my life. Like I have a PhD, like, you know, how can I, how can I, (laughs) how can I still be racked with this like with this fear like oh my god what's gonna happen what's gonna happen if my mum and my dad like listen to this episode yep same it's a a teenage guilt almost yeah 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 and like it always felt like something that I didn't want to expose like because it's it feels (laughs) so it feels like it feels really exposing being like I smoke even though everyone I know has either smoked previously or continues to smoke. Like, how bizarre is right. that? It's so, there's something, it's illicit in a way that I'm sure it, it, it didn't used to be in the sort of immediate post-war period or probably even before that, where, like, I was looking up some stats about to try and sort of just track how much vapes have replaced cigarettes in this country, which, you know, they they... They certainly have contributed directly to the number of people who stop smoking, which is fantastic. It's fantastic for a million reasons that go beyond immediate health of your lungs to sort of a million other comorbidities and your general kind of uh, joie de vivre and stuff. But I'm not here to sort of, you know, point fingers at smokers. Like, that's sort of the point in a way, isn't it? That like we sort of bring this, this there's this burden of guilt that goes with smoking that is embarrassing almost um in the modern era but yeah as i say looking into the decline of smoking over time in 1974 45 percent of british people smoked (laughs) isn't that incredible and i feel like that's i've i've written down in my notes abigail's party because the um and there is an episode that i will refer listeners back to that we did in series one called abigail's aspic asparagus steamer a nice catchy title there, uh, which is sort of about like dinner party, uh, sort of dinner parties, but 1970s dinner parties and the aspiring and rising middle class of that period. In that mm. film, it's a play really, but like it's a sort of TV play um, called Abigail's Party, which I heartily recommend, just as I recommend our episode about it. Um, everyone is smoking constantly it's a dinner party in which nobody stops smoking for the entire duration of it and that was clearly just reflecting the reality on the ground like yeah 45 of people smoked there was a, there's one other rogue stat that i found um sort of you know it seems fairly fairly legit from sort of 10 or so years before that when i think 60 percent of men smoked in this country uh, the stats are a bit harder to find as you go further back in history but yeah, m- way more men than women actually smoking. And you can imagine it as a sort of almost a professional compulsion, as mm. a social compulsion, as something that allowed you to kind of opt into certain, um, you know, I- important kind of so- social and cultural gatherings, which is, you know, almost like it is at school. It's like you get mm-hmm. to go, you know, you mm-hmm. get to go into the smokers area of your sixth form college. That's where the cool kids are, you know. Mm-hmm. I just think it's amazing when you watch old films and there's like people smoking in hospitals. And there's like... Oh my God, in hospitals. <laughs> yeah. I actually hadn't thought of that. Like restaurants. Crazy, I was re- like, yeah. like, I'm old enough to remember smoking in restaurants. Like, I wasn't doing it. 
to be clear, if my mum and dad are listening. Uh, but also, <laughs> I, but I, I wasn't doing it because it was disgusting. Like, that is disgusting. But yeah, I remember very clearly as a, like, 18-year-old or whatever, as a student, you know, going into, like, a pizza restaurant or whatever and being asked smoking or non-smoking. Like, that's a thing that used to happen. You could choose which side of the restaurant you sat on, whether you wanted your food bathed in other people's, <laughs> like, horrendous carcinogenic smoke. But the mm. thing is, it it didn't it didn't seem disgusting then. Like I remember right. this also from my from my childhood. Like it felt yeah. as normal as anything, you know. Like some people smoke on this side of the restaurant, some people don't smoke on the other. Yeah. Like that would make a difference, right? Surely, if people are smoking on one half of the restaurant, <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's You'll like make... you know, it's not going to do much for the people sat on the other side. But yeah, I think that that's really interesting. How quickly it's faded from our memories in terms of how mm. normalized it was like honestly it's like the water that we breathe the water that we breathed in it's like <laughs> it's like the smoke that we breathed in you know it was literally like uh, a ubiquitous part of your of your life and your experience like going to pubs and smoking and i remember there was mm. a bit of grieving mm. about that like not smoking in pubs and like you know famously or infamously really nigel farage has like pretty much made his like whole political persona based on base, basically bringing smoking back into pubs, right? Even though that would never happen mm. now. But, you know, it was kind of mourned for a little bit. But I think it's interesting how quickly, actually, the speed and velocity at which it fell from the public consciousness mm. that these that these were, like, acceptable things to do. And they weren't that long ago. <laughs> yeah, no, really weren't at all. Uh, as, as you say, if people are smoking on one side of the restaurant, your food is going to taste of cigarette smoke, even if you're in the non-smoking bit yeah. of the restaurant, you know. It's really weird. I was talking to my auntie about this, actually, and I was like, so where did people used to ash? Like, where did they put out their cigarettes? And she was like, yeah. oh, there were just cigarettes. There were just, like, ashtrays everywhere. And I was like, but what? what would you do if you're on yeah. the tube? And she's like, yeah, I guess you just stop it out. And oh I'm like, my what? God, what? smoking on the tube. Smoking yeah. on the tube is one that, that actually, yeah, even though like I literally suggested we do this episode and have theoretically been doing some research for it, you have surprised me twice already. <laughs> like, like I forgot, didn't think about smoking in hospitals. And I didn't think about smoking on the tube. That is another absurd, absurd place and I'll tell you specifically why, because one of my earliest memories, and younger listeners probably won't know about this, or particularly people who are a long way from London won't know about this. In 1989, I want to say, one of the first news stories that I remember being, like, comprehending and sort of talking to my parents about was the King's Cross fire. And the King's Cross fire in, it killed a, a, num a substantial number of people mm. when a cigarette, a lit cigarette, was dropped into the wooden escalators at King's Cross and everything went up in, in flames. Of course it went up in flames. I mean, like, you know, it's a horrendous tragedy that when you hear about the roots of it, you're like, okay, that's not like, you know, if an earthquake happens, you sort of think, well, there's okay, there's only so much preparation you can do for something like an earthquake. That was an avoidable tragedy, I think. Yeah, like yeah, having yeah. wooden escalators and lit flames just sort of being bandied around willy-nilly. Um, yeah, it's genuinely extraordinary. But as you say, it, it tracks a huge attitudinal change that goes across society. It shows how quickly attitudes can change, which is yeah. always always an interesting thing when we're thinking about, you know, on the left, if we're sort of thinking about, like, social, cultural or behavioural changes that we'd like to see mm. um, in, a, in a better world, in a better version of, you know, rainy fascism island that was a bit less rainy and a bit less fash. 
Um, you know, the the thing that the example that comes to my mind most often at the moment when talking about social change is like attitudes to gay marriage. Like the you know the the way that homophobia I won't say disappeared for a second, obviously, but the way the way kind of active um, kind of exclusionary homophobic attitudes. Uh, diminished between the 90s and sort of 2012 say um is a genuinely extraordinary thing um and it's something that was would have been completely unforeseeable in the mid 90s when you still had section 28 and stuff and the same is true of smoking right like if you told someone in the 80s as they lit their cigarette in their hospital bed <laughs> mm. well in fact I'll, I'll tell you what i'll give you the updated statistics so already told you that 45% of British people smoked in 1974. By the year 2000, it was down to 20%. And today, it is 13%. So it's wow. actually like le- less than a third of the number of people that were smoking in the mid-70s. Mm. Um, a huge change with like very far-reaching consequences. I do think it's fascinating as like historians of contemporary history. Like often people go... Oh, the 1970s, 1980s, that wasn't really that long ago. I mean, for one, the 1980s was like like 40 years ago. <laughs> but like also... Oh, die out. I know, yeah, sorry, was, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I, I think the thing is, is that as like historians, we try to get a sense of like what life was like. And it's really interesting how like the, I don't know, okay, like, so like changing attitudes towards smoking, whatever, completely shift how we understand that period. Like, we Mm. might think that we know what the 1980s was like, but actually, uh, really, it doesn't chime with our lived experience at all anymore. It's just, I think it's fascinating. Like, I was was thinking about that in terms of like the First World War, when, um, you know, often I talk about the temporal relevance paradigm, this idea of like, how do we understand like past events that are still relevant? Um, on like a kind of national scale. Anyway, we've spoken about this at length on various episodes of Cast Objects. But I think it's like, you know, interesting when people try to understand what the Second World War or the First World War was like. Like a a pint of beer would be like a couple of pence. Do you know what I mean? Like even stuff Mm. like that, it's so hard for us to grasp because it's so far away from our lived experience. And I think smoking is Mm. one of those things where if we really try to imagine what life was like, Historically, our lives are so different now. It's just like, yeah, it's just interesting how it cuts across everything, right? It's like part of the actual fabric of society was smoking. Like you said, those stats yeah. are astonishing. I'm trying to picture like someone in the 1980s with their massive broadsheet newspaper, like that's sort of the size of my curtains, basically, leaning back <laughs> as they like ash their cigarette into the ashtray that they have on there you know obviously people are still allowed to smoke in their houses and I'm sure many some of those 13% do but I bet a lot of them don't actually because again those social attitudes have changed and you know instead of instead of leaning back on their sofa with a giant newspaper um they're sort of you know on an app with their elf bar aren't we Mm -hmm. you know this is the future uh and it's uh is it better I don't know but it's certainly it's certainly a picture that's transformed a lot in a fairly short space of time. I'm really glad you brought up kind of the idea of like picturing a moment and whether it has a cigarette in it, because that sort of tallies with, uh, that tallies with my, something I've been thinking about, which is how smoking um, is represented or more recently is not represented in films um, because there's, there's sort of for a very long time, it was a really, really good way for tobacco companies to make their products seem cool and sexy. And that's why I describe myself as a 
Rebel Girl at the start of this podcast was a reference to a favourite Bikini Kill song, but it was that song came to my head, I guess, because I was just thinking about the idea of cigarettes as rebellious, right? Like the mm. that they um, <clears throat> they're a shorthand. You know, you might you might almost might have a a packet of Marlboros in the turned a turned up sort of white sleeve t-shirt sleeve of your t-shirt is that is that ringing any bells a sort of like yeah, james yeah, yeah. dean type yeah, vibe yeah um um and like for a long for like most of hollywood's several golden ages cigarettes have featured extremely prominently you know i'm really i've got i've had been on a huge alfred hitchcock uh jag in the last year and watched about like 15 of his films you watch old movies, people never stop smoking. Like, it mm-hmm. is constant. And that is partly reflecting the real world, as we're discussing. You know, if the majority of people were smoking, then should it be a surprise that people in films also smoke? But but I think it's dis- it was disproportionate even to that for a long time. And there's a reason for that, and that is cigarette marketing, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a really interesting paper that I've just been reading today uh, in I think it's the British Medical Journal. Let me just confirm that. Yes, the British Medical Journal has an article entitled "How the Tobacco Industry Built Its Relationship with Hollywood," and that is free to read. And I'd really recommend it because it's just a very interesting story. Um, they they basically like companies like Philip Morris and British American Tobacco that um, are or to compare them to sort of the Amazon or IKEA of sort of cigarettes. You know, huge mm. huge monopoly. Um, businesses that own many, many sort of sub-brands and operate in scores of countries around the world, right? Um, they, over uh, throughout the 20th century, like, um, realized that it was just far, far more valuable to get a pack of their cigarettes into a film somewhere than it was to spend money on advertising. Mm. And that's, you know, that's true of, like, most product placement, but... Is particularly difficult, I think, or was particularly difficult for the tobacco industry as they began to face restrictions on things they could advertise on. So, you know, like uh, connected to sports and stuff, there started to be a bit of a backlash, a bit of lobbying against, campaigning against, you know, ubiquitous tobacco advertising. So it was sort of an alternative way in that was way more valuable as well. Do you know what? Like, I think this, I think this idea of smoking in films is like something that anyone who smokes can recognise. Like there are certain TV programmes, there are certain films like, honestly, trying to watch Mad Men and not smoking a cigarette while watching it right. is so hard. Because yes. it's like, yes, it's still exactly. doing that work because everyone did smoke, right? So in terms of like, yeah. it, and I think this is one of the tricky things about smoking is that it's so embedded in our like kind of historic culture that like mm. how we relate to it now is incredibly complex. So like when I watch mm. Mad Men, like Mad Men is like, about the advertising industry in like the 1970s, I want to say maybe it's 1980s. Um, I can't mm. remember. It, it was ages when I, ages ago when I watched it. But for it to be ac- an accurate representation, or at least like believable representation, they need to smoke a lot, right? Because a lot of people smoked, as you mm-hmm. said. The stats are really high. But if I'm watching that now, I still want to partake in that culture because of like the complexity of the characters and also because ultimately yeah. smoking is addictive, right? So you see cool yeah. people smoking or you see anyone smoking and you're kind of like, that kind of looks good. So even if it's not trying to push a big tobacco agenda now, right? So like mm-hmm. Mad Men, I don't think is aligned with big tobacco. Um, you still have that response where you're like, oh, I really want to smoke. And I just think that the advertising around smoking 
is so interesting because now, even if it's not connected with, say, like big tobacco, whoever that might be, like American tobacco, I think that's American or British tobacco. Brit- yeah, BAT, British American yeah. Tobacco, British one of the American biggest tobacco. conglomerates. There we go. So even if it's not directly related to this, I was I was thinking about how whenever you used to go to pubs or whenever you used to go to restaurants, you used to get a little matchbox uh, with the branding <laughs> of the pub or the restaurant on it, right? So like you yeah. have visited uh, an, o- an O'Neill's or whatever, right? So it's, <laughs> it is... It is like... Sorry, I'm just laughing at your choice of pub. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to take this away from me in case I ever need to call up O'Neill's. And like, I'll ask if they could do a booking for me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know where O'Neill's came from, but I was like, oh. <laughs> I'm obviously thinking about the big night ahead. But um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think that. So I, I think what's really interesting is that even even though that object, right? So like the complimentary cigarette packet is not connected with British American tobacco, it is because. To use it is to smoke cigarettes, right? So mm-hmm. I think one of the most phenomenal feats, right, of the advertising of cigarettes is that they don't actually have to advertise it themselves. Companies, mm-hmm. businesses do the further advertising because it's a ubiquitous object. It's a ubiquitous experience. So that's how it kind of ends up being self-perpetuating within society, right? That's how that's how you end up with the stats like 45% of people in the 1970s mm-hmm. smoked, right? Because it was part of yeah. the absolute fabric of everything. Like still now when I go on holiday, I'll buy an ashtray. I don't even know <laughs> like what I do with it. What, what? I still I still would I still might Just buy one. Stacking them up at home. Yeah. <laughs> I mean the the addictive properties of nicotine are the ultimately the story underpinning all of this. But yeah, like it encourages a mimicry of behavior in that like if you are if you have a part of your sort of either physical addiction or psychological addiction that is still strong enough that you don't that you've, you know, at some point been addicted to nicotine, that if you see someone smoking, yeah, part of your brain is going to twinge and and encourage that sort of mimicry. And that could, as you say, that could be someone on the street or it could be, you know, a movie star that is fashionable and glamorous and sexy and cool. And, um, you know, this is, we, we basically, when we talk about kind of cigarette placement in, in films, we're basically talking about influencer culture before the word influencer was a thing, you know, like mm. for, for, you know, younger listeners might be aware of the, I mean, in fact, they definitely will be aware of the idea of what influencers do and how they do the, do it through social media about the brand partnerships and spawn con that you get, uh, you know, hashtag spawn on, on, on platforms like Instagram and TikTok. But before this was kind of a very joined up sort of social media world where sort of brand synergy was kind of a phrase um it was it was sort of left to a much more sort of direct kind of process of like a tobacco company um pitching direct to movie studios or sometimes via like a via via product placement firm but often direct to movie studios where they're like we'll help you uh what's the word defray some of the costs of your film which you know are always going to be vast by if you just put a little pack of Marlboros in that scene there uh, with, you know, Goldie Horn or Mel Gibson in, 
I'm, I'm naming those people because I'm actually reading from a Philip Morris marketing plan from 1989, <laughs> where they cite they cite films like Wall Street, Crocodile Dundee, and Roger Rabbit of all things as being really good examples of when um, the quote films and personalities have more influence on consumers than a static poster of the letters from a B&H pack hung on a washing line under a dark and stormy sky. It's quite a, quite an evocative bit of phrasing from the Philip Morris marketing team there. But yeah, their point is, is nonetheless, like it is, as I was saying before, just so much better value for money to mm-hmm. put the cigarette, your brand of cigarette, in the hand of someone, um, you know, who people look up to than it is to spend, you know, millions of dollars on advertising. Um, and that stuff's carried on even after, um, like, you know, I'm sure even non-smokers in the UK will know just how much restrictions there have been on tobacco branding and packaging in the last mm. few years, such that they basically, for overseas listeners in Britain now, if you buy a pack of cigarettes or a pack of tobacco, they, um, <coughs> excuse me, they they all have uh, identical um brown packaging covered in really graphic health warnings uh which is a result of like sustained health campaigning and lobbying and yet and this is a little exclusive that i just want to share it's quite it's somewhat obscure but it just shows the kind of lengths that tobacco companies will go to so in 2015 there was sort of rumors swirling around my kind of music journalism world that there was a big project, big branded project that people were being asked to take part in, which was effectively Marlboro cigarettes advertising or, or, or doing a branded content project to sell cigarettes to young people in South America because they had effectively been banned from doing so in the West. So they were, but these are global companies, right? And they're like, well, if, if Western democracies like Britain and Germany are going to increasingly regulate us out of existence and make it impossible for us to get the next generation of addicts signed up age 16 or 17, then fuck it, we'll just go somewhere else where there aren't those regu- there isn't that regulatory framework where there aren't health campaigners with the same level of who are, I mean there are health campaigners, but you know, where they where where the 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 uh, people lobbying against the evil that tobacco companies do haven't mm-hmm. made such great strides. We will simply exploit young people in poorer countries in the developing world instead. Um, and they built, the, like, they, there, there were music journalists I know were approached to participate. They had to sign a bunch of non disclosure agreements. It was all heavily, like, guarded against sort of rep- being reported and, and, and the word getting out. But it got out anyway. But they built an online platform about sound system culture and, like, cool young people music. Um, you know, uh, in order to sell c- cigarettes to people in the developing world. I mean, it's it's pretty much the most evil thing you could do as a music journalist. And I'm yeah. very proud proud of my friend who, having signed the non-disclosure agreement, uh, before which she didn't know anything about it. Like, that's the whole point. You're like, do you want to work on a branded content project? And you say, uh, maybe. Like, okay, sign this NDA. You sign the NDA. And then they're like, Okay, now you sign the non-disclosure agreement. We're going to tell you it's for Marlboro, and she was like, "I'm walking right out of this room." Mm-hmm. That's yeah, um, awful. But yeah, it is disgraceful. That, that, that's how they adapt, basically. Like you know, I descri- the films I was referencing before, like Crocodile Dundee and Roger Rabbit, 
people may have identified are quite old films. You know, that's when they could actually get fags into movies. Mm. Um, and Hollywood hasn't been doing... That has not been the case for the last 10 or 20 years. You know, you do not see cigarettes in films nearly as much. Mad Men is quite unusual, I think, as a high-profile show that, that insisted that, no, it, to be true to life, its characters mm. were going to be smoking. Mm. Do you know what? I have a really... I feel like I have a, like just listening to you there, I just felt like I have a really complex and quite an ambivalent relationship to to smoking and kind of like a relationship to these big um, tobacco companies as well, because like my life has also mm-hmm. been like not dominated, but like, you know, uh, I have a I have a relationship, right, with these companies because I also smoke the cigarettes. And I remember mm-hmm. reading a like actually, there was a bit of a cusp. I think there was like a moment, probably around maybe my early twenties or something, where there was a lot of um, research coming out that was saying that uh, kids nowadays are like uh, no, no, like kids aren't really smoking nowadays. And there was a part of me that was like. Oh, in my day, we used to smoke and it was pretty cool. And I was like, damn it, I'm still smoking. Does that mean I'm not cool? Like, and then just as those kind of like weird existential worries and doubts were like creeping into my early 20s life, like, oh my God, am I past Mm. it? (laughs) Just as that happened, vapes start coming through. And I think, I mean, also just to explain to anyone who, you know, maybe hasn't seen vapes, right? They are... So they're basically plastic casing and inside it's like water vapor mixed with nicotine, but you give them all of these Mm. like crazy flavors. So like uh, watermelon or Coca-Cola or lemonade or apple or whatever. They're basically like um, smoking for kids, right? It's like, imagine a a slush puppy, but as something that you smoke, right? It's basically (laughs) juice. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And I think that's what makes it so cursed for me that like, I, I was kind of going through this moment where I was like, oh my God, no one's smoking. Society is changing. It was really about that, right? You know, as you get older, there are moments in society that you're like, right, okay, society from here on in is different, right? People aren't going to smoke. People aren't going to drink. Society's going to change. And, you know, maybe that will be for like, well, it'll probably be for the better, right? All of the health um, risks associated with both of those things will be reduced. People will live longer. Hopefully, hopefully we'll have happier lives and maybe more money to spend on things that are better for them. So for me, it was like this moment where I was like, oh, my God, all of society is changing. And that's a good thing. But it's also a weird thing because I feel like I'm part of the old world. And then, then (laughs) these companies, these smoking companies, right, because I think they're the people who are actually backing this new trend. So under the name of like... They all confirmed, yeah, they all own like massive, all of the big tobacco companies own big vape brands basically, yeah. So this is it, right? So under the name of, and you kind of started this discussion by being like, every scientific report has said that they're way better for your health than smoking cigarettes. And I think it's frustrating, right? Because they are better for your health than smoking cigarettes, according to like scientific studies. But also on the other hand, I think we often have to interrogate why we're smoking in the first place. And um, Imogen West Knights wrote an amazing piece. I can't recommend it enough um, called My Vaping Addiction Came Out of Nowhere and I'm Finding It Impossible Mm -hmm. to Quit. And in it, like, I mean, her first line in the article is, I'm just going to read a little bit. I'm vaping right now. It's the watermelon one, which I bought from Sainsbury's rather than from the vape shop that, unfortunately is the nearest shop of any kind to where I live. The ones I normally buy are triple mango, 
and then quote, oh, is one mango not enough? People reliably joke when I tell them what the flavour is. No amount of mango could apparently be enough. <laughs> if they brought out quadruple mango, I'd be there banging my debit card on the counter. Earlier this week, a man who runs the vape shop took me through the new flavours he just got in, like I'm a connoisseur of fine whiskey. I'm not that. I'm a silly little girl who likes her dummy. And in, like in that, and like in the rest <laughs> of the piece, in the rest of the piece, like with such warmth and relatability, like I actually, when we saw her at Christmas, I said to her, like, this is probably one of the most relatable things I've ever read. Like, it's so, <laughs> it so captures the spirit of the age at the moment, what I think a lot of us are going through, where... We know smoking's bad for us. We're probably cutting down on regular cigarettes uh, or we're not smoking regular cigarettes. But suddenly vapes have come out of nowhere and everyone is smoking them from like teenagers to like people in their 30s. Like you can go to clubs now and people are just just smoking vapes in the club. It's almost become, of, it's become an accessible way of smoking, right? And I just feel really, um, I feel like really ambivalent in my relationship to these because on the one hand mm. we can say that they're that they're better than smoking cigarettes in terms of health wise but I wonder whether they stop us really interrogating why we smoke at all you know because they're like easy they're really easy to buy they're cheap and this is something that she kind of pulls up in this that she's like often I think to myself oh it's good that I'm smoking these because I'm not smoking cigarettes but then she often frequently thinks maybe if I smoke cigarettes I'll stop smoking vapes and you end up in this really weird cyclical thing I've had it with loads of friends as well where like you smoke vapes to get off the cigs and then you smoke cigs to get off the vapes <laughs> that is insane I know I know <laughs> that is insane I know who, I know who, who's who smokes cigarettes to get rid of their vape addiction? I'm well, sorry. Apparently, I, I me have, and I, Imogen. <laughs> right. Well, you're both bonkers. Like I think, because like the NHS have said, like the NHS line. Uh, they, yes, there are. Yeah, there may well be scientific things that have yet to be discovered. Long-term studies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You can't have a long-term study of something that people have only really been doing on mass for about five years. That's the problem. <laughs> but the NHS are. Re their line is is ninety five percent healthier, um, and that that is a big deal for society at large, an aging population with you know all of the different comorbidities that it encourages. It certainly makes us all feel like silly, silly little girls with a dummy. It's mm. true though. I mean, I think that is there is a <laughs> this is a, the the cost to our collective sense of self dignity is perhaps the biggest <laughs> hit that I can see from all of this when you've got like, yeah, watermelon flavoured. And it does look like a dummy. That's such a brilliant analogy. Mm, like it is, mm. it is, it is, it is something, there's something anxious and clingy, like a kid with a, with a sort of, you know, a blankie or whatever. But, but this is um, what I mean. That they like, can't I... quite let go of. Like what, and yeah, no, I, I, no, this I totally what see I mean. this is what you mean. Like what, why, why can't we let go? In terms of like me smoking, right? I smoked a lot as a teenager. I smoked a lot in university, um, like, you know, like roll-ups and whatever. And then I went through a phase where I don't know what happened. Just my body started to kind of reject it. So I couldn't actually smoke uh -huh. anymore, but I really wanted to smoke. <laughs> and then like, it was this, <laughs> I know that sounds like completely completely bizarre but like for me I really enjoyed the I really enjoyed the social mm. side I really enjoyed yeah, of course. you know I enjoyed that kind of aspect of like being at a club and then everyone goes out for a ciggy and like you know I really enjoyed that aspect of it mm. and it was really frustrating to me that I couldn't quite I couldn't quite do it anymore and then when vapes came in suddenly 
if I would like, okay, so if you if you are going to smoke, you will go outside of your house. I would go outside of my house to have a cigarette, right? But vapes are around and you could just be sat on the sofa, literally vaping away all night. And like, I actually found myself yeah. more out of breath from vaping. Like if I walk upstairs after a lot, after vaping a lot, mm. I would like feel more out of breath from vaping than I would cigarettes because I'd be going through so much more. And this is the thing, like one of those elf bars is like, it's a lot of nicotine. It's like 50 cigarettes mm. or something. And kids, like literally teenagers, because when, when you take in the vapor, you don't smell nothing. There's no indication that you've been vaping, right? So you can smoke well, it you sw- Yeah. Oh no, I see what you mean. I mean, you smell of a massive cloud of like synthetic watermelon flavor for a bit, but I take but your only point. Momentarily, it doesn't. Right? It doesn't linger around yeah. in quite the same way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. School kids are reportedly like, uh, you know, like they will vape in the toilets, basically, and it's become a real, a real kind of unnecessary extra burden on already overstretched teachers shout out the teachers in our lives and indeed flats shout out my flatmate they're like they you know like confiscating vapes and like telling off kids for vaping in in ways that you can get away with it somewhat more subtly than you would like in a way that you just wouldn't be able to with Mm. a with a cigarette because of the lingering smell of tobacco um yeah i mean i've heard plenty of like similar stories of you know, people that never used to, uh, like adult friends of mine who never smoked, but because their partner switched from smoking to vaping, they were like, oh, well, this isn't as harmful, so I might just pick this up as well. And all of a sudden, they're both vaping all day long, and that's not good. I agree with you. I do still think that let's not get drawn into an equivalence here. There is still... I trust the NHS when they say there is a 95% improvement in your health from vaping over smoking. Like, vapes are cursed in all sorts of ways. I still think this is progress. Like, it's just a really embarrassing form of progress, which should shame <laughs> us all culturally and aesthetically. And um, <laughs> I think, I think, I think like, health gains. Let's not forget the health gains is all I'm saying. But, yeah, there are many, many things that are cursed about a vape, and I suppose that's why a disposable vape is our... Um, is our cursed object this week. It's funny, just to think back to something you said at the beginning, Cash, like the idea the idea that like a cigarette is just like too cursed an object for us to do. It's like it's too on the nose. It's like, I don't know, I can't think much. of a comparison. It's like choosing like a, I don't know, like a, a murder weapon or something. It's like, well, obviously we can't, that's not what this podcast is about. Like something just really genuinely unpleasant. But, um, but yeah, maybe it should be a cursed object because it's still an alluring, you know, what's that, what's that? vaguely annoying Oscar Wilde quote they're all vaguely annoying aren't they a cigarette is a (laughs) is a perfect kind of pleasure it is exquisite and yet leaves one unsatisfied Mm. now if you want to know how insufferable I was as an undergraduate (laughs) suffice it to say that I just pulled that quote up from memory I have not looked it up I've not googled it I know that off the top of my head because that's the kind of 18 year old I was (laughs) Oh, God bless <laughs> um, you. <laughs> in fact, in fact, I remember buying some Turkish cigarettes. And that doesn't mean like a Turkish brand of Marlboro. Like it's like a style of like slightly spiced kind of maybe clove cigarettes. Clove really... cigarettes. We I'm used sorry. to buy them. Jar and Blacks. We I'm used not... to get them in Camden. I'm not entirely convinced I know what clove cigarettes are, but they're mentioned in a magnetic field song. And maybe that's what I'm referring to. They were like, mm. they were, they were called Turkish cigarettes and they were sold from a tobacconist in Oxford. And they sort of smelt kind of, yeah, spiced, like mm. almost with, yeah. You know, the, the smells of like the spice root, basically, a bit of cinnamon, some cloves and stuff. Can we talk about the vape aesthetic a little bit more? I've actually got mm-hmm. 
I've got a little mini report from a friend of the show to surprise you with, which is that uh, a friend of the show, Dave Stelfox, who commissioned um, uh, an article from Kasha and I about um, about based on one of our cursed objects episodes on like uh, sort of Playmobil riot cops, basically, uh, which you can check out on codastory.com. Uh, but yes, this this uh, this editor is also a friend of the show, and Dave Stelfox was looking into a story a few years ago, in which he never got around to writing up, unfortunately, and hopefully he will one day, where he went to the British Vaping Expo, like a like a, like the a sort of annual conference for vapors, um, which was so big that it was in the NEC in Birmingham, the the National oh Exhibition Centre. Um, and so you've got to imagine, and I, I just he jumped on the phone with him this lunchtime to just ask him, like, remind me what that was like. And he was like, there was a nerdy kind of bro vibe. He said there was sort of big Limp biscuit energy to the entire <laughs> affair. <laughs> so basically, this is actually, this episode on vaping, I feel like, is actually in a way almost like a partner episode with uh, our episode on... Um, on heavy metal, like there's some cultural crossover here. Like um, he met a British juggalo, which is an extraordinary sentence to, to be able to say. Do you know what juggalo is, Cash? Actually, no. Is it like a sex worker? No, no. I <laughs> love that you guessed that because <laughs> it's just a silly word, isn't it? Really, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm glad you guessed that, and we're definitely keeping that in. Um, no, a juggalo, there's no reason why anyone would know what a juggalo is who hadn't spent, like, too much time on Vice.com in, like, 2009 or something. Um, they are fans of the Insane Clown Posse, a ridiculous, cartoonish, heavy metal band, which you've probably heard of, right? Yeah, of course I have. Yeah, yeah. So there are, there are people that got so... In the same way that, like, Grateful Dead, the band, 60s, 70s band, produced Deadheads... Uh, who were like sort of a level beyond fans. It's like the Bayhive or whatever for Beyonce. Mm. Like people who, more so than the Bayhive, because that's an online fandom. Those are little babies. They are nothing compared to this. Like Juggalos dress like their heroes. They put on insane clown makeup to look like the insane clown posse and do ridiculous like, you know, drinking games and sort of fire breathing. And it's just sort of a... A clown-like atmosphere to the entire thing, and but like one that's done with pride, um, you know, like I'm a bit mad, me sort of vibes. Right, but okay. it's a very, it's a really American kind of. Uh, I I would say they would self-identify as like white trash or trailer trash. Like I'm, I'm not calling those people that, but like I'm sure I've seen that in like Vice documentaries about juggalos. I urge everybody to go out and watch some Juggalo documentaries because they are quite sweet in a funny sort of way. You're like, wow, the, you start off thinking these people are such losers and by the end you're like, this is actually a really heartwarming community which is quite self-supporting. Uh, anyway, digre- Juggalo digression complete. There was one British Juggalo at the vaping convention um, <laughs> in amongst a million goths and metalers, a lot of guys, very male atmosphere. Those are the sort of people that go to a vaping convention. But they were... It wasn't just like you can go and you can buy different sorts of vapes and, you know, go to a panel discussion about vapes or whatever. There were like competitions and sort of people doing, there was like a lot of blowing of elaborate vape smoke rings. Um, that was a big, big part of it. So it's kind of like a performance almost of your 
enthusiasm for vapes, but the long and the short of it is there's an entire subculture devoted to this week's cursed object, which is not something you can say very often about our cursed objects, but like, I, and I, it's, it seems mad to me. To me, a vape is a nicotine delivery system that is healthier than the previous nicotine delivery system that we had. And that's it. And like, you know, I, 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 I'm happy with it having that very limited role. Yeah. Um, for many people, it means a hell of a lot more. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of politics swelling around it as well. Like governments have actually been quite strict in how they've regulated vapes um, mm. because they're worried about how much they, I, I, my supposition is, because they're worried about how much they fucked up over cigarettes for mm. decades. You know, like not, you know, believing tobacco companies that were lying through their teeth um, uh, about how harmful cigarettes were. Like, loads of tobacco companies knew a hell of a lot more about how addictive and how cancerous and how poisonous their products were for a really long time and covered it up. I mean, these people are the real, like, even in the corporate world, the, the lowest of the low, I think, pretty much, along with weapons manufacturers. We haven't we haven't even mentioned all of the like doctors' advice campaigns in like the nineteen fifties that were like smoking oh is good God, for your health. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you should carry. Have you got lung lung related issues? Continue smoking. If not, increase like <laughs> increase your intake of smoking. <laughs> or maybe, maybe take up smoking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I can't believe we have. It's it's oh. taken this long for us to even mention that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, seriously. Do you know what? Like, I've kind of been thinking about this. I kind of wondered whether you can help me with this. Like, I was thinking about a pal of mine who, when we were teenagers, like, I never used to smoke, like, as, like, I definitely didn't smoke as much as him. I was like, you know, smoked, smoked a bit, like, you know, I smoked, but like less. Whereas he was on like 40 a day. Like, he was smoking loads. Oh, wow. Less. And then he, he decided in our like, uh, kind of like early adulthood to just like give up because he was like the way I was smoking it wasn't about enjoying the cigarettes no one smokes 40 cigarettes a day because they enjoy mm. it like there's something else going on there yeah. and I because I never smoked that much like I was a bit more like mediated in my smoking I was kind of like I was kind of like mm, yeah you know like it's all right like I can kind of like take it you know take it or leave it and, and then I kind of stopped mm. for a bit and then, but like recently I've, t I've taken it up again and like I've started smoking more, whereas my friend doesn't smoke at all. And I was just thinking about that, how that approach, which is like everything in moderation really doesn't work when it's a like massively addictive <laughs> substance. Like yeah. And I'm like, so oh man, like I massively played myself because like when he was like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm giving up. I was like, ah, it's fine. Just smoke less. That's what I've done. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, oh no, it's like a decade later and he hasn't smoked for 10 years. And I'm like, I just went to Mexico. Still and dribbling a break, on. You yeah. Know? <laughs> no, it's so relatable. Like, yeah, just that you're, you, you, you've been brave, but also unfortunately naive in thinking that, because like we'd all like to think our willpower is. Yeah. like strong enough yeah. to just make these decisions for ourselves. Yeah. But I think it's okay to say like, no, you really have to understand how powerfully addictive nicotine is yeah. and that you're not a weak person because like you succumb to that. And that's why, I mean, it's a good example for me of where like, you know, the nanny state should be absolutely weighing in heavy handed with, you know, mm. steel toe boots kind of, you know, shutting things down 
like ruling about how we live our lives. I'm sorry, but like nicotine is that addictive. I would prefer it that way. I'm not a, I'm a libertarian about some things, but not about that. Not about that. You know, I think I think having a big state that looks out for our health is in every everyone's interest, including the people that aren't smoking and rely on the NHS to be able to do other things. You know, there is mm. a there, we we all there is a collective responsibility in a, in a sense. Um, uh, and you know, apparently, according to according to my friend Dave, who was at this went to this vaping convention apparently the new one the next one's coming up if anyone wants to go to this year's in Birmingham uh but he said that he met like vaping activists who are kind of libertarians associated with spiked magazine uh oh for readers for yeah I know I was going to, for listeners who don't know what Christ spiked magazine life. is ca- Cash's Cash's reaction in real time is giving you the shorthand that you need. <laughs> Christ alive is right. Um, I would say if you've not heard of Spiked Magazine and you would like to know about uh, one of Britain's most wretched uh, but influential websites, uh, there is a very famous essay in the LRB about it. So yes, uh, Spiked very much are the, the baddies. <laughs> um, and it's no surprise that they would align themselves with like, um, you know, big tobacco uh, in the name of freedom, that's very much their vibe. Uh, but yeah, there's a great piece in the LRB by Jenny Turner from as far back as 2010. They've been around for a long time. Uh, it's called the the article's called "Who Are They?" The Institute of Ideas, and it's about the Institute of Ideas and spikes and their roots in the Revolutionary Communist Party. Um, extremely confusing and weird political journey they've been on since the 90s, from like the far left to. Um, basically being extremely influential in the Tory right uh, in, and recent Tory governments uh, via people like Munira Mirza, who's director of the Number 10 Policy Unit um, mm. for the Conservatives and began her, like, she came directly from Spiked. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of a bit of a sidebar, but just to give you a sense of the sort of people that are, like, lobbying against government regulation, of uh, of vapes, which has been fairly strict in Britain, at least, um, and apparently not worked that well. In that, like, apparently, like, loads of a lot of Elf Bar, um, the the brand of vapes, like, were there was a story a little while ago last year, I think, about many of their products have been discovered to have just a lot more nicotine in them was mm. than they was advertised. Like, they were just like breaching their own sort of, you know, they'd have <laughs> they'd, it would say two percent or whatever, or two milligrams or whatever it is. And it would actually be way stronger than that, which is a problem because you are then addicting people without them even realizing it. Yeah, you're getting that, them more addicted. Really yeah. dodgy um, uh, sort of stuff. And um, you know, the, apparently there's also so like vapes that are particularly strong have been outlawed in this country. But according to a Sunday Times report that I was looking at, um, where they sort of went undercover. You can get them in most vape shops anyway, just under the counter. You just have to know how to present yourself and how to ask the question, which is like quite funny to me, albeit extremely yeah. cursed as well. But sort of like that League of Gentlemen thing where they're sort of, it's heavily implied that your people are going into the butcher and asking for human meat by like, <laughs> by like asking with coded questions and sort of raised eyebrows. Like you can do the same for like the extra, they're called super capacity vapes apparently. Oh my God. Which are just like even stronger. Um, oh my God. Possi- possibly less of a cursed sort of uh, colour. Because I mean, what do you think of the aesthetics of elf bars? Because I've seen you with an elf bar in your hand. Not yeah. to bait you up, but like, but they look they, they look like little colourful toys, don't they? 
Yeah, I mean, do you know what? I was just really interested there in, in the idea of like, I mean, we haven't even got onto vape shops and how like a lot of them just look yes. like their fronts. Like they're definitely yes, fronts they all, there's so many of them that <laughs> yeah. I kind of feel like they can't all be fronts unless well, fronts for, for what? But yeah, well, money well, exactly. But also, like, isn't it interesting how, like, every single corner shop, because they must be really profitable, it's like you can buy mm. two vapes for a tenner. And, like, mm. what is the, like, if you can buy two vapes for £10, what is the markup for the person selling it? <laughs> and what's the markup yeah. for the people, like, for, like, as in, like, the shop people selling it, shop people, <laughs> shopkeepers. And also what what's the calls. markup for the companies, right? Because yeah. I think something that I'm like, I'm, I'm fascinated by this, like how are they selling them so cheap? And this is in a way, right? I think why so many people suddenly, like in, in, my, in my like sphere of like reference or whatever, Vapes were kind like kind of started last year for me. That's when they kind of like exploded onto the scene right. for me personally. Although they've been around for a couple of years before, but I fe it really felt like there was an almost like a flooding of the market. And you'd walk down mm. the street and you'd see discarded um, elf bars just everywhere. And like you said, they look like children's <laughs> toys, or like Imogen said, like dummies. You know, like yeah. literally children's children's toys almost like littering the walkways. Of like you just see them everywhere, absolutely everywhere. So even if you didn't know what they were, by the end of last summer you would have seen them. You would have seen a lot of them yeah, because they yeah. were just they they were just everywhere. No matter where, no matter what city you could buy them for super cheap. And there is definitely, I think, one of the cursedness, cursed aspects of this for me is that there is obviously a sense that the market is being flooded and these are being pushed mm. because they're being sold everywhere so cheaply. And suddenly, how do you end up with a generation of people who have never smoked? before and I'm not just talking about mm. young people I'm, I'm also referencing you know that thing that you were saying about um someone's partner gives up smoking but then they both start smoking vapes <laughs> you know like loads of people are taking this up because they are basically just like vaporized squash right I just think that there's so much <laughs> there's so That's much to go on here <laughs> there's so much to go on here and also squash yeah, and like also as you're kind of talking, as you're kind of giving that really evocative description of what it was like at this like vaping, this vaping conference, right? <laughs> this vaping <laughs> event. I was just thinking about our uh, meal deal episode with Lucy Dearlove. Mm. And I was just thinking about the way that um, meal deals are quite exposing because they kind of represent a bit of your personality. And I kind of think that there's, there's a really interesting symmetry here between the identity that is smoker and the identity that is non-smoker. But but also the mm. identity that is vapor. Like, I just think that those things kind of all tie into each other and are really, they, they kind of pose a lot of questions. I think, unfortunately, that we're not going to be able to answer in this episode, but well, I, I think, think I think there's definitely like, scope for episode number two on smoking. There's just too much to cover. It's just too addictive doing an episode on, <laughs> on, on, tobacco, on nicotine, isn't it? I just want to do more and more. And like, particularly after I've had a few drinks, I'm just desperate to record another one. I, <laughs> <laughs> or if I'm watching a film in which other people are recording an episode of, of a podcast about vaping, yeah, okay, I'll leave that there. That's <laughs> that metaphor is now overstretched officially to breaking point. Um, but yeah, I think I think I'm glad that you've sort of brought up Imogen's great description of the, the dummy again because I think seeing them on so many like in the gutters of so many streets on like sunny Saturday. Well, you're like Sunday mornings. It's almost like the it's the detritus of a night out, right? In a yeah. way. Um, but like last summer was really striking. Um, kind of same with the little canisters of uh, laughing gas as well. 
no wait not laughing gas what do I mean Noz the calluses of Noz mm-hmm. um, but, they, but, but yeah I'm glad you mentioned that because it, it is it is sort of infantilizing I think that leads spelling massively, out like to, to like the flavours the colours the way it's branded is undoubted that they are being deliberately targeted at um, at teenagers and young people um, it's worth us, saying that we're, like we're vapes, adult babies now we're adult we babies. are adult babies yeah 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 exactly you can't infantilize an infant they are an infant already you're right it's yeah. about targeting <laughs> young adults like Kasha and to a slightly lesser extent me uh, <laughs> and making us feel I mean I've never I, I, I feel like I would look silly with an elf bar but it's worth saying in terms of the aesthetics of these objects that before the disposable ones like Elf Bar came along, mass produced in China in the Shenzhen zone, like in a in an area where that you know, which is very light on uh, taxes and business rates, should we say? And so that's part of the answer to the question of how they come to be so cheap. I'm sure the workers producing them are not paid well uh, in the Shenzhen zone in China. Um, before those Elf Bars, there were like quite clunky, large. Um, they almost sort of looked like a a sort of musical instrument, sort of a like like a a blocky kind of, uh, or maybe like a large um, portable battery pack, um, mm-hmm. something like that, with a bunch of different bits you had to screw in, and then little bottles of liquid of the actual vape uh, kind of vape juice. Uh, li- Vape juice, for one of a better. I actually don't know what to call it. But that's the best <laughs> phrase. Like, and I, I've never done this, but I've seen friends. I've sat in pub beer gardens with friends as they got their sort of seventeen different components. Um, you know, some of which yeah. are disposable, some of which like need charging, some, some of which need cleaning. Yeah, exactly. It's like a watchmaker. They're like like a nineteenth mm. century watchmaker, <laughs> kind of like fiddling with all their little, you know, sort of hot, sort of charged bits and electronic bits and. Um, and trying to piece it all together so that they can have a hit of nicotine. There is a huge gap between that, which I think your average Gen Z TikTok e-girl, or, you know, not to describe my co-host too too on the nose, but um, (laughs) just kidding. Uh, But yeah, like, yeah. um, But like, you know, there's a different aesthetic appeal to different people that like, you know, like early middle-aged blokes um, who like, technical kit and like researching all of the different options uh for their you know expansive vape pack uh, there's just a very mm-hmm. the, the i the person i'm describing the friend i'm thinking of you know um who who had one of those old school ones it's just a very different um aesthetic to a sort of pink and yellow sort of um cute little button shaped thing that you know uh, can pop in your pocket as easy as you mm. like and be thrown away. And after, do you say two for a tenner? Is that normally the price? Well, yeah. I mean, so this is the thing that. So I just kind of want to end by bringing up two things, right? So like, mm. the first one is that not only are they super cheap and you can just get loads, but like obviously we've kind of mentioned it. They end up just causing like huge problems in terms of like landfill because they're so disposable. They're such a mm. waste of like materials and just like a flooding of of plastic everywhere. And I've seen a lot mm. of people who are like, like environmentally conscious smoking like vapes, right? Easily bought vapes. And feeling really like, uh, like really torn about it because obviously every single purchase you make is just going to like completely 
it's just building, mm. right? And like in, in preparation for this, I sent you a picture of a bag of vapes that my friend oh, has God, collected, so kind of collected in a way as a reminder not to buy any more vapes because they're like, they're oh, wow. so horrible. But at the same like time, Like a warning still, to themselves. Yeah, yeah, but still <laughs> buying more vapes, right? This is literally like a carrier bag filled with elf bars. So that was like the first point that I really wanted to say. And then the second thing mm. I really want to say is that I just think also what's really interesting interesting when we were discussing the, this idea as a topic is almost the kind of like temporal speed at which one these have come into our lives so the way that elf bars or like the way vapes have like kind of flooded our landscape right so like although mm. like you mentioned they existed you know a number of years ago really last summer there just seemed to be this like whoa like this like impact like everyone had them suddenly they were everywhere but then also the fact that like a lot of the brands so like elf bars for example I think they're a really good one for a cursed object because already people have like moved on in terms of like the brands mm. that they're buying. So elf bars go out and a new one, like, you know, like Lost Mary, which is a different type of brand comes in. And there is like this illusion that you are changing which one you're buying. So there's this like illusion of like, um, of choice when actually to bring us back, like to bring us back full circle, all of them are owned by tobacco companies and they're just finding different ways to sell you the same thing. <laughs> and oh. I just think that's what's so cursed about it, you know? Like you're going there and you're like, oh yeah, like I was smoking elf bars. Like the, the time between like elf bars being cool and kind of falling out of favor and now it's like Lost Mary's a, a bit more cool, more people are smoking those. And like, it seems like the types of brands are like, they have a really short shelf life, but then also that they kind of present this like illusion of choice or this illusion of like, oh my God, there are so many different types when actually Novelty, they're all just, right? yeah, 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 they're all just, is it about not, <laughs> but the same is it sort of about novelty? The, the six. Yeah, yeah. But, but but do you think that's a sort of almost conscious thing of just like, okay, well, everyone's got short attention spans, like fashion cycles are really short. It's got to be a new, there's got to be a new thing every sort of five minutes because people will get bored and have, you know, pixel adult brains that kind of can't cope with sort of, you know, fidelity to the same product for a really long time. I mean, the funny, the weird thing is, every cigarette looks the same when you take it out of the packet, right? Like, there's no variety in, <laughs> no one ever used green paper. I don't really know what point <laughs> I'm making here. It's just, just you you know, you pointing out the kind of, you know, just switch up in aesthetic or switch up in, in brand, even though it's essentially just the same junk and it's going to end up in the same landfill and it's produced by the same companies making the same old white men rich um exactly exactly they do they do look different at least but yes truly um, a, a uh, cursed object a cursed object for our late capitalist tiktok age yeah i think i think that's it i think you know that's the goal of this podcast to try and show how an object is connected to the world around it and uh it really is we are well we are all giant babies who uh <laughs> who need who need a little sort of colorful shiny thing to play with <laughs> <laughs> to a keep little us from being bored. <laughs> well, you know, because, uh, like, you know, I think one of the things that Imogen brings up as well is that, like, life's been really hard recently. So, like, a lot of people are turning yeah. to vapes and stuff. And the thing is, is that, like, you know, there's, like, there's no shame here, but actually, I think that you know they are objectively not good for you <laughs> and they're really bad for the planet yeah. as is smoking <laughs> and maybe yeah. like my friend we should have just all given up 10 years ago <laughs> yeah a great way as to end it we, it's a it's a lovely thought 
But yeah, we do, we do all like a little treat, as uh, another Imogen piece <laughs> points out. You know, we all deserve a little treat. Times have been hard. Uh, don't be too hard on yourself. Uh, and have a nice weekend on us. Um, thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, it's been a, It's been a blast as ever. Yeah, thanks everyone so much for listening. Um, if you're hearing this on our main feed, um, please support our Patreon. For as little as £4 a month, you can get some stickers, our unwavering and undying love, and uh, you'll be safe in the knowledge that you are helping me to buy an occasional <laughs> elf bar treat. <laughs> A little treat. <laughs> A little um, elf bar treat. <laughs> but, or maybe yeah, one does... of those really like really substantial vapes that's like, you know, the proper the proper business. Maybe it's time to get into, yeah, vape mods. I feel like that's a phrase <laughs> I've seen somewhere. I don't know what it means. Uh, presumably it means you're sort of building your own one from scratch, like a like a 19th century artisan in a sort of medieval arcade. Um, medieval arcade, where did I get that from? There's no such thing. Um, it's It's been great, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> Please do support Thanks. our Patreon. It really helps. And, uh, and you know, because we are doing this in our spare time and uh, it, it, it's, it's work. So <laughs> thanks, guys. It's much appreciated. Um, we love you lots. If you can't afford it, don't worry. We are going to keep making those free episodes too. Just tell her, mate. Just tell her, mate. Just God, for God's sake, just tell her, mate. Just tell her, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Take care.